0: Hello, everybody. It's us again. It's the Smart Party. We're back. Hello, Gaz.
1: Hello, Baz. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, mate. It seems like a very, very long time since we've caught up and uh, and talked to either of our listeners. So, you know, thanks for their indulgence for waiting so long through the long, lonely weeks, months. How long has it been since we've cast? And we've been busy boys, haven't we?
1: Yeah, maybe three or four weeks, something like that. I think it's less than a month. It might be longer in dog years. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah. So to our canine listeners out there, sorry about that. You probably have grandchildren by now, grandpups. <laughs> but to the normal humans, it's probably only been a couple of weeks and there's been Easter festivities and stuff and, and we've been doing grown-up things and adulting around the world. So yeah, true. So doubt. now it's back to Let's Pretend. So here's a segue for you. So we've had a bit of downtime for the last couple of weeks because we've been out gallivanting and doing things. So I thought, why don't we come back and talk to our, both our listeners about downtime in gaming. What do you do in role-playing games when you're not stabbing people in the face, taking their gold, putting it in your backpack and levelling it up? Is there a game to be had outside of the default combat paradigm that so many games, especially the tread ones, invest in? So that's our topic for today.
1: And I think there is um, there is something to be had there. There's something on the, uh, the old UK role-players, or well, the new UK role-players forum, as it is, uh, Talking about supers, wasn't there? And, and what do supers do? And then there's even a, a sort of existential crisis around what superhero gaming even is, which we may, may even touch on ourselves. Um, but it's it's kind of, I think my point around that, without going through the whole discussion again, that was on the forums for people to read, should they so choose, is I kind of do like punching things in the face and taking the gold as well. Uh, I do like a bit of that. Uh, I just So I'm, I'm not sure, and I'll put this to you first to see whether you've got an opinion on it, is can you just do stuff that isn't, all that you know if it isn't fighting at all or any conflict uh, of, of any sorts or you know princes fighting over nations or something like that i mean you, you obviously can but what what sort of game would that be and are you interested in it i guess
0: yeah i think you can and i think it'd be a cool game but like everything else it's a bit of light and shade and a bit of variety and all of those things that kind of mix in together so i mean I've, for one i can't think of anything more tedious than, than a role-playing game where it is nothing but conflict after conflict after conflict with with nothing in between mm. those. That would be okay for a bit, but especially if that conflict is all about the initiative role and round-by-round yeah. stuff. That I think there's probably better ways to get your jollies. I love a good punch-up in a game, and I like a game like Feng Shui, which makes, you know, makes a virtue out of it. And even that's like 90% initiative time and 10% outside it, to give rough numbers to it. Uh, but I couldn't think of anything worse. Could you go the other way? Could you have could you have games where there is where there's never really a conflict? I think you need to have challenge in your yeah. games, definitely. And I think you need obstacles to overcome. And I think those obstacles and challenges are more interesting if they push back rather than they're just passive obstacles. So you know, again, a conversation that that we've seen and had recently is about whether you can do like Arctic exploration as an adventure or. Disaster movies or those kind of things, where the thing you you might be up against is 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 extremely neutral. It might be like wild weather or circumstance, rather than black clad assassins with six hour automatic pistols. Yeah. So I think I think that I wouldn't. I'm not going to get my jollies out of a game that doesn't involve some action. And I'm sure there'll be people listening to this now going, "Oh no, I don't necessarily need action. I like I like my games to be about kite flying festivals and." you know easter egg painting competitions and uh, i'm sure that's true i'm sure that's true but i need there to be some challenge in my game and some kind of momentum but doesn't always have to come at the at the with an
1: initiative role tied to
0: it so i think it's possible yeah
1: what do you reckon oh, i did yeah it definitely is but i think you're right even if you have something that's uh, like a kitchen sink drama if you're playing dalton abby the role playing game whatever. <clears throat> And I will now demonstrate my complete lack of knowledge of what Downton Abbey's about, but I imagine it's... I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) I imagine (laughs) it's like when we were Bairns and it was the upstairs-downstairs kind of thing of, you know, maids and servants on one level and the lords and ladies. There's some kind of, like, tension between and then there was shenanigans happening at each level in different political spheres that they both had about who was sleeping with whose mistress or something like that. But but there was always stuff going on, so even that on the face of it seems like quite... a dowdy Sunday afternoon, easy watching kind of thing. There's the stuff happening, and you know, if not outright conflicts, there's certainly dramas and things happening. And and you need something, like you say. I think I totally agree with you. And the sort of when you mentioned the weather, the one that sprang to mind for me was Mouse Guard, in that quite yeah. a lot of that can be about nefarious weasels trying to uh, defeat your lovely nice mice. But there's uh, expeditions you go on to do things, your adventurous mouse guard characters will go out and one of the things they will fight is nature itself. And it will—it might be a sudden mm. torrent of rain and uh, a river bursting its banks or something like that, or trudging through snow. But there's actual mechanics there that then make that interesting. And I think it's similar mm. in sort of uh, the One Ring where you've got journeys and there's hazards that you encounter as you go across Wood, or something, for example. I think you can turn anything to some, some kind of interesting... Uh, trope to play but there has got to be a game element to it there's got to be some risk or some uh, tactics to employ or some uncertainties about the future what may happen or some cost if you don't do things well so I think you're right that it doesn't have to be punching goblins in the face and taking gold but there's got to be something no matter what it is that means there's a bit of challenge or decisions to be made or uncertainty that give you some kind of like frisson of excitement about it.
0: Yeah, it's that's really interesting actually because I quite like I quite like my games to have branching points in them. So whether that be a dilemma you're faced with, or literally a fork in the road, and and if you go one way, something different happens to if you went the other way. And interestingly enough for me, um, combats are probably the most predictable thing there mm. is. There's not really a branching point for most combats because the answer is victory or death. Usually those are the two stakes, and um, and one of them is pretty much sort of game ending in most in most senses. <laughs> And the other one is the game carries on just fine. They're like little road bumps, speed bumps and nothing else. So I think what we what we probably need to, to factor in here is depends on the game is always the answer to everything. But we, we haven't got through like 75 podcasts saying it depends. So <laughs> we'll move on from that. So, But what I think it does depend on is it depends on the core activity in your game. Now, we've spoken before about what is the core activity in a game. In D&D, it might be going into dungeons and fighting dragons, not unreasonably. In Traveller, the core activity might be one of many, but it might be being uh, traders uh, lugging cargoes around um, the spinwood marches from planet to planet and taking on little jobs as and when. And in your gumshoe games, it might be your you know hardened investigators searching into occult mysteries. Those are your core activities. I think for the benefit of downtime, if we're talking about the downtime the way I feel it is in my head, we're talking about stuff that might happen in that setting or with your character that probably isn't directly addressed by the rules, by even necessarily the book explicitly. Mm. So in your Mouse Guard example, it might be that that's that's actually a core activity and that's why it's got rules and that's why it's got stuff. It's not downtime in Mouse Guard to go go on those explorations and expeditions, is it? That's one of the things that's expected to happen. And that's kind of where I'm coming from from a
1: definition point of view about... How about yourself? No, I'm. I'm going to take the opposite stance. I think uh, I become interested in downtime when there is some reels to it, or there's something to be achieved, and that might be a, a mini game within itself, uh, or not a core activity, as you put it. Uh, but I think having some other kind of mechanic that works around it, or some, even if it's a really simple one like ticking down the clock of a project so that's eventually completed, or something like that. I think that's where I get interested in downtime, and I use it as a um, A different activity than the core one, but still an interesting one, just perhaps one that doesn't get as much of the limelight. So your core activities might take up eighty percent of your time, say. And you can spend twenty percent doing the other things, but that round out your character or the game you're having a little bit more by giving you more of an insight into the game world or more about what your characters do when they're not punching goblins or having Downton Abbey adventures, whatever they may be. Um so the stuff like Blades of the Dark we've mentioned quite a lot recently, that has specifically something called downtime where well, you pick it. I think the the difficult yeah. balance with that is when you have those sort of activities is it becomes really easily certainly in um, in Blades for example to just roll the dice if there is a system attached to it. So what you're supposed to do if you for example indulge your vice to relieve stress uh, is talk about how that happens and what your character does within Dusk Vault and, you know, whether it's taking drugs or Uh, carousing or sleeping with women of the night or men of the night or whoever else. Uh, But that's supposed to be part of the narrative of the game and what i found tends to happen even with people who consciously try not to make it happen is uh, it's a bit late, it's towards the end of the session and people just roll the dice to make it happen and then you don't, you sort of lose the bit that downtime was for in terms of adding that texture and Mm. layer of narrative. So I guess if that was purely narrative and didn't have reels attached to it you'd probably get more out of it uh, by gamifying it it reduces its effectiveness somewhat. I mean, most games
0: don't do that, do mm. they? They, I mean, I think Blades in the Dark is, is really cool for making a game out of that kind of traditional. Most games, and most groups, I think, I, I think I'm fair to say this, would probably say, oh, well, let's just skip past that bit and get back to the, the core activity, the thing that we're supposed to be doing, you know? Um, and it might be, and that's often a good call. If, if somebody wants to, like, go shopping sometimes you read the room, don't you, as a GM or as a player and you go, do we want to roll this out? Do we want to play? (laughs) Shall we? No, we won't. Okay, fine. And then you get back to what you consider to be the meat of the game. But of course, some people's boring shopping expedition is another person's, this is the bit I was looking forward to most out of anything because I love talking with bartenders and I love haggling for the the price of a bundle of cloth Um, and I want to start a business and my character really is um dungeoneers every now and again, but actually I want to get involved in like crafting my own type of like weapons, magical weapons, and then selling them on the on the trade routes between here and the desert countries. And that's all bubbling away inside one or more players' heads. So you know that, that's for some people that's a real draw to the game, but I think very often the games that they play don't necessarily directly address that and certainly the adventures that you that you can buy off the shelf rarely address that because it's downtime it's seen as kind of like you know the 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 shadowy area of the game the bit that doesn't need any attention doesn't need any rules and it's there if you want it but most of the time we're just going to go go back to what we started doing in the first place i don't know i I, th- I personally i think there's there's some fun to be had in those areas of the game and, and perhaps downtime isn't downtime at all if everybody's really up for exploring it
1: yeah, if I can make you cast your mind back to the 80s when RuneQuest was the hot new thing on the streets. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the aspects of that uh, was you could get training. So you'd get your lunas, your silver coins for beating up some brews in a lonely cavern somewhere along the uh, Cradle River. Um, and then you could pay some dude like Gareth Sharpsword or someone of that nature or your temple or your cult to give you some training and cult skills and get better, and mm. I, I don't know that just seemed to to my young mind seemed to make more sense than you get an XP and then you just level stuff up. It was that extra bit of downtime. Did you play it out though? A little bit. You did at first. I think, it's like anything. Uh, the first few times because you had to sign. You had to get someone to train you. You couldn't just say. Well, yeah. you could have done. I mean, the gym could quite happily have just said, like, "Spend the money and you get whatever." It's five times your current percentage, and that's how many coins you have to pay, and you've done it. But what we tended to do was have you'd have, you know, have to go and find someone who could train you in that skill. Or for your temple, it's like you get uh, training in their cult skills if you do the right stuff. But then 10% of your time as an initiate of a cult in quest, as it was, was mm-hmm. that you have to do stuff for the cult. So they'd be like, kill, right, well, this is how you climb a wall. Now, I'm glad I told you about climbing because there's some rocks eggs I need to get out of that matter right, And it, right. it, it would be leading to other adventures or it introduces the characters that over time you might become you know, attached to in some way so that when bad things happen to them, you'd be more motivated as characters to do something about it rather it's just mm. the blacksmith. It would be a named character who'd forged that sword that you used to kill the chaos leader at this thing that happened a couple of sessions ago and all that kind of stuff. So mm. downtime in that way. Just by having the conversation with the the weaponsmith or whatever it was, and repeated little contacts, just builds an extra bit of texture to the game. Uh, Mm. As time went on, obviously, got to a point where, you know, 20 sessions later, the guy who's the blacksmith or some other stuff was just like, I don't care, I'll just spend my money and my skill will go by 5% or whatever it was. But I think definitely early on, it's a good thing for adding extra bits and pieces and introducing NPCs to the game. And then Mm. the, the characters can overhear things as well or get asked to do things or be pressured into situations they didn't know about or understand politics of the city that perhaps wasn't there initially, but you find out that if you want the Fireblight spell, you've got to go and deal with the Sundorn Templars or whoever it might be that's got that one spell that no one else has in the city. And that's mm. a leading to more adventure and more cool stuff happening. Cool. So the sort of modern equivalent of stuff
0: like that, and that's still that's still true in loads of games, I think, is um, might be something like crafting subsystems. You see those quite a lot in, in, in the big trad, fancy role-playing games. Um, and and some people absolutely love that stuff it's not personally for me have you ever had any experience of like wanting to say to a GM or being a GM and being in mind of this that like you know what am I going to do when somebody has 10,000 gold pieces and they want to do something with it in town do you do you pay any mind to that where do you have players who say I want to build something or I want to invent something or I want to do something that isn't you know casting spells talking to kings or making diplomacy roles.
1: I think the first time I recall it is companion D and D with their sort of turquoisey cover. Yeah. Uh, and that started out where you're all sort of you're all I don't know whether you were actually nobles or not, but you you kind of had a big hex map and you all got bits of land on this hex, you know mm-hmm. uh of this duchy or kingdom or whatever it was. And then I seem to remember most of the most of the stuff in it was some people turn up and tell you to land they want your land, it still cause a fight. And it was so like... A fight rocks up even though you weren't looking for one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get to build a house, but now people invade your house and take your stuff, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny. And I don't remember much of the political situation. I remember lots of monster stats and things and evil balladins. But um, yeah, I mean, base building and stuff like that is great. I mean, I suppose the. The archetype of one where you build stuff up is pendragon isn 't it where you, you get mm-hmm. uh, more horses and a, an andalusian charger, which you desperately hope doesn't die during the winter phase as the cold comes in and then you you let her wear someone down by reducing your resistance hashtag me too uh, and you get to <laughs> marry and then then you have kids and then it 's not your horses you worried route it's your kids dying during the winter phase yeah, yeah. um but it's that that idea of building up and then buying more Demesne manners and it 's a bit like base building in i guess. Now, Fallout Four or Civs or any number of computer games, where it is actually like a little bit of a feature, if you know what you can buy or what you could do. I think a lot of players get on board with the idea of it, uh, mm. and then look for office within the game you're playing and want to be the sheriff in Deadlands or something like that. Mm. It's um, it's making it obvious that those choices are available and making them accessible within the game world, so that the the story been building up over weeks makes it sense for that to happen rather than you guys just being wandering hobos with bags of gems because it's easy to carry them yeah. bags of gold pieces uh, to return to
0: like blades in the dark which i think is that is a really successful modern take on on how to deal with all of that stuff you're, you are kind of forced to have a life outside of your heists um you're forced to initially and, it, and I, I must admit initially it does feel a bit like oh really oh god do we have to? oh okay all right i'll play along and then, and then that sort of over time overtakes the heist as the main activity of the game, and and uh, and your bookie and your drug dealer and your mistresses become more important things on your character sheet than the daggers and swords and healing potions that started off on there. And that's a really cool thing to do, um, and I, I quite like how it does that. But it's it's had to address it quite specifically, hasn't it? Because mm. I think for, for me, one of one of the issues with that kind of activity is. If you can make it interesting, you've done quite well, and I think *Blazing the Dark* does it very well. I think *Pendragon* does it very well, and so on. But there is a danger, I think, of like you know, fracturing the party because then you end up solo gaming for a little bit. Whenever you're doing these kind of downtime things, there is a tendency to sort of wander away from the other people who are sitting around the table with you and go off and do your thing, look after your manner, um, you know, put put more money into your venture, uh, build your weird steampunk device. And what are the other guys doing? Well, they're all doing something similar of their own thing. And then as yeah. a GM, you've got like five individual projects happening. And it's like, when are we going to get together? Because this, this could be lonely fun, and, which is what it was way back in the day. And people used to do blue booking. And now we just email the GM, don't we? And um, mm. we end up having a game between games. So that, that's, that's an issue I've seen. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, the games that have done it well, as you described, it's that 80-20 thing I was on about, that like Pendragon has its winter phase, so you can do your lonely fun and you're wooing a lady or trying to improve your dimensional manner or whatever it might be. But it's it's time box, so it's only a small amount of the adventure game. Uh, and then going out as, as an adventurous knight is 80% of the time or more mm-hmm. uh, when you do the other stuff. Uh, so the same for Blades as well, where the majority of a session will be going on scores and doing things, and then you've mm-hmm. got some time at the end. So I think the only way to make sure that the lonely funders doesn't get out of hand is to time box it, unless people like doing that. But I can't see mm. many groups loving the one-on-one with a GM time type activity. I mean, I don't not quite understand how it something like that would work if you had a GM-less game, for example. I mean, there's, there's mm. obviously mechanisms in place within those games and the, the rules and or text that make that sort of time management thing a bit, a bit more easy. And the fact that anyone could play an NPC or another party makes that a bit a bit more accessible, I guess. So if you're playing something mm. gemless or gem full, then you've probably got a better chance of doing the downtime or having some light and shade because everybody can still be involved in the game, I guess. Although I've not really been involved in too many of those myself, to be honest.
0: No, I mean it's it's a crazy idea, but it might just work where you might have, have your uh, for one of a I don't know, just pick a game. Maybe you play Traveler once a month and you play it on the first Sunday of every month and it's a traditional traveller game and everybody has fun and everybody enjoys it. And I suppose the bits in between, there might be some emailing going backwards and forwards these days and people might chit-chat about this, that or the other. But wouldn't it be cool if the players met up on the second Sunday of every month and the GM didn't even have to be there and the, the <laughs> players just played out all of those bits and then just like, I don't know, just well, the GM got back to go and say, so what have you been up to since we last met? <laughs> they kind of tell the GM. <laughs> that would be kind of weird. Because you know the GM might as well might as well rock up, in which case you are then playing the game, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know how much how much chatter is there between players between games? I think these days, with social media and the availability of messaging and the rest of it, I think there's more inter-game chatter than ever there was when you used to have to physically go around your mate's house on your bike back in the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, possibly. And I still think some players don't speak to each other, do they? They just (laughs) only talk when they've come to the table. True. Yeah, it takes all sorts. I guess the other thing with it is you could actually not play your characters, couldn't you? That's something we'll be discussing with Blades. It's one of the things they haven't got uh, any rules for, which I'm a bit disappointed about. I might actually be in a supplement or something or one of these hacks that's out there um, where you play crew members or you do something with Mm. the crew. Because now I've got a crew or we have, and our gang's getting a little bit better, I kind of want to train some of them up or find out a bit more about some of them or, you know, get get them involved. But there's not really a mechanical way of doing that. And unless we do and we say we want some crew and then the GM plays them, I and I feel a bit like, well, I want to sort of define what some of our crew are about. So, I mean, that's, it's not to say it's nothing, something that we couldn't do ourselves. We probably should. But our way of doing that would be if we all play gang members next time and get the GM to run just a one-off session where mm. we're all playing actual members of the cult that we're in, rather than the main characters. Uh, and he can even potentially have some fun playing our characters back to us as he perceives them best and what we've been doing for the last few weeks. Mm. And we see what horrible people we truly are. I I think that'd be awesome.
0: And and I think, you know, again, a game like Blades has built in loads of reasons for a character to not show up that night, quite apart from the fact that in real life, you have people who can't show up to get to, to regular sessions. So, you know, what do you do with those guys? Wouldn't it be great to sort of circle back around every now and again, and see what they were up to when they were soloing somewhere, you know, rather than just ghosting at the back of the party lineup? What What were they doing for that time? And and in Blades you can be imprisoned, and there's stuff yes. for you to do in prison, which is super cool. But it's a uh, it's that element of the big box set TV shows that are all the rage these days, which which you can't help as a gamer but watch and think, how can I make this a game? Like we got like Game of Thrones where. You, you're constantly zipping from scene to scene and from little individual setups with two or three cast members in. You hardly ever see them all together. You're constantly buzzing around in this big old ensemble, but you but everybody's pushing an agenda every little bit and sometimes all over the world as well. And loads of stuff does that these days. And I think um, I think a really overlooked game that certainly you and I don't think have ever played, but I've owned it a lot and looked at it a lot is Ars Magica, which which was doing this way back in the day, where it's uh, it's medieval wizards essentially, but it's really it's in medieval Europe, and you've got you've got a character which is your wizard and they're all part of a coven together or a covenant, and that's like fairly traditional play at that sort of level, kind of sort of because you know you're a, you're a party and you go out once a year pendragon style on an expedition to get stuff, but at the same time as that you also generate the companions which could be the man-at-arms or it could be the shield-bearer or something like that. And you're generating a bunch of like stable boys and pot washers and grogs um, mm. at the same time. So you generate about 10 characters each, which is like 40, 50 characters plus a base. And each game, you may not be playing a wizard. It might be a companions game, which is going to be very close to a game of D&D, or it might be a grogs game. I don't know what that's going to be close to, but arguably you could have an adventure where you're sitting around... Polishing, bridle and tack for the whole night, bitching about your masters. So that game that's exists and, and that's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's um, I think that's a bit of an overlooked overlooked way of playing, that sort of troop style. Which Blades comes back to a bit, but it, it makes a virtue out of downtime. It's like, let's 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 put a bit of variety into this game and, and, and let let's play yeah, let's play your retainers this week. Or your wives and girlfriends, or boyfriends, or husbands. Let's play your other halves and see what's happening there. It's just uh, yeah. you know putting a spotlight on a different part of your setting. It sounds cool to me and a bit of a rest.
1: Howdy, smart party fans! Thanks to your amazing backing of our loyal patrons, and your first issue of Smart Scene is now available to download at Drive through RPG. For the ridiculously low price of a mere $3, it can be nestling within your hard drive in seconds. Feel to the advice of Brad in Indiana. Wax nostalgic with the 90s. Chortle as you play con bingo. Just type smart scene into the search bar over at drive Years from now, you'll be able to say with confidence, I like their early stuff the best. Stay smart now.
0: The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming.
1: To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes
0: into the portable hole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new smart party content. Patreon's got a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the smart party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers!
1: There's probably this well, there's not probably there definitely is a game called Remember Tomorrow. Uh, which Gregor Hutton wrote. And it's um, one where you have you all do a bunch of characters, but then there's, there's extra characters in the middle as well. And as you go from sort of scene to scene, you can just chuck your character back in and pull another one out. And then someone could pick the one that you've thrown in and take that and put the other one back. So it just revolves around constantly, or can revolve around constantly what character you're playing. I think that's probably a bit too much for me. It's a bit too far the other way in that you have no control and there's no sense of grounding and going back to you who you were, so to speak, because someone else has picked your character up and done something else with it, and now it doesn't feel like yours anymore, potentially, or that kind of stuff. But There's definitely pre- precedent out there, and I think having some element of not just being in uh, one mindset all the time adds a bit of flavour. I think uh, one of the good bit things I, I played a while back was um, Hellfrost. Oh, mate, bears around that. And uh, we had... I think it's twenty followers or something. I think there's one of the edges you get, and you can get some like followers. So we had a bunch of half Knights, and um, we just rolled against a random table for one trait each, uh, and very quickly lots of them died. Uh, so as would happen in a harsh environment like that with frost giants and things, and we were whittled down to about five. But from just having one thing like mysterious or cowardly or young as a trait, uh, stuff had come out of it, and a lot of that came from uh, the other players as well as the GM and me myself or I whatever. Mean, the mysterious one, like another player would ask her questions and I'd have to answer for that character. So I'd immediately have to think of why that was. and uh, It turned into this whole thing about her husband had gone missing in the Hellfrost and she was up here to try and find him and she'd never touch a man again until she found out what happened to her husband. And It was all on-the-spot stuff, but just by a little bit of um, addition and some extra bit-part characters chucked in, we got a lot more... Uh, grounded in the world, and a better feeling about other characters that might be there. And we we didn't have ablative NPCs anymore just there to take up hit points. They they had a little bit of a story and became alive in the game. That's cool.
0: I love it when stuff like that happens. Sometimes it it happens naturally if you just play a game for long enough. If you're just doing one-shots all the time, it doesn't seem to matter too much. But in campaign play, things that, that meant nothing can become quite big deals in your campaign. It might just be the weaponsmith, mightn't it? And then they end yeah. up with a name, and and you often tell the story of a, a randomly rolled up squire in Pendragon. who becomes like you know the most valuable player of, of the sesh, and uh, yeah. and it, that's good when that happens. So activities then for downtime stuff. Um, I I think there's a lot more you can do with 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 role playing games than many role playing games allow themselves to do. So I quite like the idea of of the occasional or sometimes even quite a lot of the kind of downtime activities that 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 at, at best get given a few mechanics but they're often relegated to like you know this is the bit in between the real stuff so have you have you ever played in sessions where you've not quite got what you would expect from on the box play you've got you've been playing in the in the sort of the recesses of the game just playing around in the setting maybe being fairly mundane in the setting, maybe doing fairly mundane things, and had a good session out of that?
1: Mm, not that I can recall. I mean, something might come to me. It feels more like my early days playing Traveller when there wasn't enough in the box that I got to tell me what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so yeah. I was running a game for a couple of guys at school and I just couldn't work out what the fuck you you did. There were no goblins to shoot with your laser guns. You might not even have laser guns. You had to cut seats for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it was just, just mad, and I got a description of a world and like a, an isometric drawing and a, an icosahedron I cut out out of a cereal box that I, you know, drew it onto and had this pseudo globe that I would made up and different <laughs> continents and you know there's all kinds of bits in there that it told me to do but then I thought well I don't know what I do now mm. like what well, there's no aliens what what goes on so we did a bit of exploring and stuff but I think without some guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. It's hard to do the downtime stuff that's around mm. it.
0: Because
1: mm. then it's all just a bit of a gamble, isn't it? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Have you have you got anything of that, that springs to mind? I'm not quite sure what you mean possibly.
0: Well, the, the sort of thing I'm thinking about is that, and I'll go back quite a way myself actually, to uh, AD&D. Um, I once played in a game, and I think it was at a convention. Um, well, I call it a convention. This would have been like a club meet probably back in the day. And the idea was that, that everybody was a cleric and uh, it was we were all given characters of various different cleric levels um, and in, in AD&D that meant quite a big character sheet usually but most D&D character sheets that had cleric on it had where you just skip straight past that go to the spells and see whether you've got a mace or not because that was what you needed for the adventure. We didn't need any of that in this adventure because actually the clerics were all together because it was the meeting of the, I guess like the General Synod it was like you know all the boss level clerics from the kingdom had come together for their for their annual general meeting for their big conference to decide right. what they were going to be doing in the following year which wars they were going to support and uh, which which kings they were going to prop up and, and how many missionaries they were going to donate to such and such and it was like a schedule right. it was like an agenda to go through um and it was one of those sessions. I hate to say this because normally this means it was awful, but we didn't roll a dice all night. So, you know, <laughs> but we certainly, there was, at the end of it, there was no element of Dungeons and Dragons, advanced or otherwise, in that game, apart from the fact we had clerics at Nanashi, And I guess we were playing in a kind of Renaissance style fantasy world. But we didn't leave a single right. room, we were all in one room the whole time, our characters and us. And, you know, we had some drinks served up by serving people. And I think we stopped for a meal at one point. But the rest of it was just discussion and decision making. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But I remember three or four hours flying by and not a spell was cast either. So these great big character sheets didn't come into the game at all. I think it was a good game. I certainly remember it. And it's quite an old one. And I'm a little bit surprised that that's like the first one that comes to mind because this has got to be 30 years ago. But that would be an example of like we played d and d, but we weren't by any stretch of the imagination playing d and d as you would know it, or were we because that was that was maybe something that was handled in downtime in other games or not even handled at all it was just it's probably given out as a handout if it matters and and you know the idea of playing eight clerics because there were eight of us in a party because it was those kind of those kind of days where an eight player party made sense, and I don't remember the g m doing much either, but it was just if if it w- It was a step away one well, it was probably a costume away from being a live action role playing session, and maybe yeah. those are the ones where all the, the sort of downtime activities really happen when you're playing like live action vampire, you're really playing like the downtime elements of vampire rather than playing vampire <laughs> where you're
1: using your superpowers. Does that make sense mate? it does that sounds great. I'm definitely going to use a synod in my next d and ever run month my... <laughs> <laughs> but that that sounds. It sounds like something we're talking about when you play characters that aren't your own. It would be great to have sessions like that, and then you go back to playing your Paladin Ranger and all the rest of your party, mm. and now find out that your sponsor, who was the whole king, has been deposed or something, or that, you know. Yeah, you've gone to this village to find the missionary because you've been told the cleric will be there who can cure your diseases you've got in the forest you've been wading through to find out that the mission have decided not to send any clerics to that part of the world this year <laughs> or whatever it might be or there's you know there's a shortage of them or they're having to make do without the resources they would have so you've got to go on an adventure to try and do something about that mm. um, so I could definitely see it as an extra texture to the game. Uh, I would suggest that you perhaps wouldn't want to keep playing that session over and over so you have to do like six of those in a row where it's another symposium and you've all got Mm. to decide on what you're doing for the budgeting for the year you get a bit dull but um, as a one-off I'm weaving it into a campaign as you playing other characters or something I like the sound of um I can't think of anything I've done particularly like that I mean because I'm a big fan of trying to play games that are supported by the game system you're using so trying to Mm -hmm. avoid anything that sounds like it won't be that um the only sort of off-the-wall thing I can think of is when we played Space Master and it turned out to be Venusian jungles with dinosaurs and things, which I wasn't expecting <laughs> at all. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. That's, that's... We barely rolled any dice, but it was great. Yeah.
0: I think the other sort of thing I'm thinking about is um, if you think about OSR play, so it's of a similar vintage, I guess, where you're doing hex crawling and you're relying on random tables and the game is more about exploration, That that back in the day was a kind of a downtime thing that you would do to get you to the adventure with a capital a um yeah nowadays there there are there are groups i know um i'm kind of one of them myself that just gets its jollies just purely from that kind of exploration bit of the game so you're not really making much use of your longsword ability or your magic missiles because things are done on a a slightly zoomed out scale so you know you're doing Mm. like daily travel and Filling in a hex with a little icon for a swamp, um, and there might be some encounters and stuff. But those encounters, you're probably better off getting away from, because really old school D&D, actually, you want to avoid the fights where possible. So you might see some baddies in the distance, but but the next ten minutes of of gameplay might be you just trying to, you know, get past them stealthily so that you can go on into uncharted lands. I mean, mm. at the end of all of that, you're looking for a hole in the ground to go into and get gold. But there's there's maybe maybe the majority of the session is is exploration and seeing what's around the corner and rolling on charts, or so even the GM doesn't necessarily know. And that, that to me, smacks of a kind of a downtime of activity from the way we used to play.
1: Well, potentially, but if you recall, the new D&D exploration is one of its three pillars. So that mm. they're actively saying that is something you should be doing as your core activity. True.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about it then in, in different terms, it's like... A, we often talk about games like Blue Planet and one of the difficulties that I know you and I have both had with Blue Planet is which which version of Blue Planet do you want to play? Which campaign do you want to do? Because it's got you know 50 things you could do so it tends to mean you don't choose any of them. Um, but is there campaign play to be had in, in those kind of settings which aren't necessarily about being uh, uh, law enforcement units or high-level political operatives? Basically being quite mundane and doing quite ordinary things or is
1: that just not RPGs the way we know them you could if we pick on Blue Planet it's easy to be the um, the sort of pseudo natives and you've got a nice little fishing village uh, and you've gone back to nature and then the evil corporations are coming back mm. and want to buy up your land so you have to fight for the rights of your land or whatever or something like that um, doesn't sound very appealing <laughs> to be honest, yeah. with you, compared to the cool stuff that's in the book <coughs> Excuse me. But it's something you could do. Uh, I don't know. I, I, but then again, I think that becomes your core activity, doesn't it? You, it's not downtime anymore then. Mm. Uh, if we're discussing that downtime is like your, your things you're doing that aren't the core thing you're doing, then mm. I think by definition, they can't be all of the game. They've got to be a small part of it. Yeah, I suppose that's true.
0: No, I suppose that's true. Okay, so let's take it to another genre then. So some of the other chatter that, that we've been picking up recently has been about... Um, what what can you do uh in a game where you are not going straight down the obvious routes with the tropes? So if we're thinking about stuff like superhero games, what do we do when what do superheroes do when they're not fighting crime? Arguably, I don't think they ever fight crime particularly, but what do they but what do they nineteen forty seven. What do they do in their days <laughs> off? Yeah. Um and, and what, what's it like to maybe play maybe play a very uh, oh, I can't even think of the word now magnanimous, no that's not it, charitable no, whatever it is the word where you'll go around be a philanthropic a philanthropic yes, party instead of a bunch of your usual violence obsessed murder hobos is there campaign play or even scenario play to be had out of being nice to people and fixing things
1: oh I, don't, I feel sick now <laughs> <laughs> obviously not round your house <laughs> Oh, that sounds terrible. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there is. Uh, supers is a hard one, I think, because you've got weird powers that can do all kinds of stuff. Um, but They're then good. I don't know. Maybe in certain ways <laughs> that might make it. It might make it easier if you. But you need to be playing a game where um, the superpowers mean that you can do good stuff as well. If you know what I mean. Mm. So I know God likes about World War II, so it's got a certain bent to it anyway. But like the sample characters have got things like Death Star. And stuff like that <laughs> where you know you your one and only superpowers that you can definitely kill people if you look at them and it's like, okay. Yeah. There's might be a use for that in a, an abattoir or something, but I don't really see how like there's not a lot of role playing opportunities staring and get cows, and that's like <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's your thing. Um so I'd I'd expect you want to create a game with powers that then have uh practical uses or perhaps um, they're not immediately obvious uses so then the game could be about trying to work out how you use your power to turn things blue or make things, I don't know water molecules vibrate and then how you're going to use that to solve natural disasters or improve people's lives or whatever uh, and you could chuck a bit of villains in that are doing things that aren't you know, taking the world hostage or trying to create a super laser but are just doing uh, not low level but um seemingly low-impact things that are making the world worse. Mm. And you could definitely have a narrative around the way that, you know, I guess companies are going now and the use of pesticides or other things like that. You could easily turn that into super-villains that are doing all this, and mm. you're super-characters are trying to make the world better and uh, even chuck a bit of investigation or other things like that just to try and improve stuff. I don't know. You're going to have to guide me on this one, Baz. It's not not my area of expertise. If we're all about how does bad things happen and why are people evil... I've got yeah. a large selection of tones <laughs> to, go, to go back on, and also personal experience and <laughs> and so forth. Um, just
0: yeah, we'll, just we'll doing good stuff though.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can't see what the fun is. Your it just be it? <laughs> it did. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go and punch a kitten just to make myself feel better. We'll, we'll
0: promise you a session.
1: It's uh, definitely one. We'll stick it in in the um, the
0: the non-existent document we keep for future podcasts about like, <laughs> stuff we'll cover, which is like being a total bastard over the course of a game. But in the meantime, let me try you out with this stuff then. So in, in the super genre, as a bit of a comics book fan, I, I've always maintained that, that superheroes isn't really about superpowers at all, but it's well, it's about a whole bunch of different things. And it depends which supers you read and which ones you're into, but it can be about lots of different things. It can be spy stories, or it can be with great responsibility and all of that kind of stuff. But but um, well, one of the things that sometimes happens in comics is they come around to this relatively frequently, is they think about the ideas of let's look at the real heroes in this super's world that we've generated, and they might do a few issues on the fire department or nurses or paramedics or lawyers. And you see that in some of the Marvel TV shows, don't you, where you've got lawyers and You've got like your Jessica Joneses and stuff like that, where it isn't all flamboyant and it isn't all about the kicking supervillains' asses. It's about living in that world, that setting that's also got some supers in it. But you're not necessarily the guy with the cape who flies about with the big icon on your chest. You might be the one who stays at home and washes your girlfriend's tights as she goes out patrolling every night, and <laughs> you know, or you might be you know, you might be the landlord or the or the, the girlfriend of so and so. And those sort of like, you know, living in those world kind of stories, I always think are really cool and interesting, even if it just, just throw a bit of light and shade on the main events. And I think that sometimes those stories are way more interesting than punching Doctor Doom in the face
1: repeatedly with Bing Ben. Yeah. Well, I, I ran a game of uh, a World of Darkness game set in 1960s Berlin. He's East- uh, Berlin, where they—oh, no, actually, it was Dresden, but it was East Germany. Um, and the characters were all mortals, so there was all the vampires and all the rest of it, and werewolves. Mm-hmm. But they're were all either baddies or just like, uh, even if they weren't potentially ill-meaning necessarily, they were just causing lots of problems. Uh, but the characters were the mundanes, but nevertheless had the job to do, and also the the pressure and uncaring government above them that wanted answers. Mm. Uh, and that was that was a much more interesting story to me than playing vampires in 1960s East Germany, which in and of itself would, probably be, would have been a fine story probably. But um, yes, yeah, so I can see from that point of view uh, as characters in a world where other stuff's happening, I think that's probably where you've got some traction. Hmm. I can't quite see as much where if you are supers, not doing the super stuff, although it's not necessarily what comics are about or what the game might be about, feels like you're not, using the thing that you've got it's almost like when you play a one-off adventure at um, you know, a convention and you get this big list of uh, equipment that you've got for your carriage you think oh brilliant mm. I've got this grapple gun I've got whatever else and then you turn out like you never get to climb anything and if you don't get to use all the <laughs> stuff you've been given you feel a little bit like well why have I got all this stuff then mm. so um, I do struggle with it super specifically but we could talk about any game where if you've got a bunch of powers then you want to use those powers otherwise what are you doing you know if you've got a thief in D&D, but there's no doors to, to get through or a chest to unpick the lock on, why have Why have you got a thief? Yeah.
0: No, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a fair shout, mate. It's one you often say is that, like, you know, play the game you've got in front of you because there'll be another game. If you want to play a different thing, there'll be other games for it. And, I, and I've often thought, you know, is there any mileage? If you want to play in a setting and really rinse the most out of it, I wonder if there's a if there's a way of playing, say, I don't know, play D&D, do that for a bit. But then when you do want to do stuff that isn't necessarily about going into dungeons, if you do want to do like the Cleric's Conclave that I spoke about before, wonder what would happen if you just transposed that bit of the game into a different system entirely, played Hot War for a night, but actually you're still playing yeah. the same D&D campaign. So for your downtime, which doesn't have any rules in your main game, like, you know, there's a, I don't know if there's much in Vampire about what you do when you're not being a Vampire. Um, but maybe there are other games, so you can continue to play in your campaign world and just throw the spotlight onto another aspect of it, and actually use a brand new system just for that session, and and make downtime its own game. Uh, and I don't mean downtime as in boring time, but just as in another facet of the game completely. That might, that might be interesting, and people have people have always done that when it comes to like you know mass battles. So if you're playing a fantasy role-playing game and you want to get involved in a hmm. big war, it's like, let's bring out the war game and do that for a session. People don't tend to go the other way. Like, you know, what can we do for an aspect of the game? If we're going to do caravans along the Silk Road, maybe we should use, like, I don't know, can't think of a great example, but maybe the Traveller Rules for mercantile operations. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though you've still got broadswords and magic missiles. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's definitely if you're all into the same... Uh, setting, or the thing you're trying to achieve there, then I think that's definitely got legs. I was thinking Hot War straight away as soon as you mentioned, <laughs> mentioned the clerics again. I was like, yes, do that with Hot War and you've all got different agendas. Um, but it all depends on... You, 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 we probably wouldn't say it depends, but it depends on your players a little bit, doesn't it? True. So if you've got people that are happy to swap between systems, I think you and I would be, if we knew what we're doing mm. uh, about with the system to at least a vague degree, so we've got some chance of being effective. Uh, I know other players that just, you know, everything seems a choice to them. So whether they want to switch between systems, I don't know, or whether they thought mm. they were enjoying what they were doing and wouldn't want to go out of it. But I think, yeah, I think if you get the right group, certainly, um, there's no reason why you shouldn't swap to the right tool for the right job.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. And I suppose another thing that, that I've considered in the past, and I'm sure other people have done this loads, is. Yeah. I mean most of us know some great GMs these days in any one gaming group there's probably about 5 or 6 GMs there's very few people who don't want to step up and do it I wonder what it would be like if um, if each of those you know just took a different part of the world that you've all been playing in and and they ran their game but it's still in the same overall campaign setting maybe in a different city or maybe the police department of the fantasy town that you're playing in or
1: yeah. or
0: whatever those you know those ideas just sound they they sound so doable, but I rarely see them happen. Maybe it's because it's not the sort of thing you see in conventions. But you know, like you and I guys and some of our might, mates, we might all just decide to play on. I don't know the world of Blue Planet, but my games are set on one island, and yours are set on another. And there might be some crossover, and it might never be some crossover. But it's a way of playing <laughs> with different aspects of the same thing. Deadlands, you know, made a career out of that by focusing on different aspects of its huge timeline and all the different places and so on. So, you know, just for variety, um, downtime, I think, is just really, in some ways, it's a player putting their hand up and saying, is it okay if I do a different activity for a little bit of time? I think too often, the game kind of says no, or the other players go, (laughs) oh, but I'll be bored while you're doing it, or the GM, bless them, doesn't know what to do with that request and I think that might be a shame and I think there might be some creative ways to keep everybody happy, which you will have no interest in because that's
1: about that people's happiness. <laughs> I want to keep people miserable—that's where the fun's at. Um, <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, it's um, it's trying to find. I think it's that it's either the time box thing, or it's trying to find things that people are all interested in. Mm-hmm. So it might be, um, I don't know, if you if it's a bunch of D and D. Characters, for example, they've got they've got a stack of gold now, and can't work out to, what to spend it on. So they decide that the the town they've been using as a base for for how many years they're just going to improve it. They're going to like train the local mm. militia. They're going to improve the defences. They're going to buy in a wizard to do some spells for them or create some items or something like that. And as long as everybody's got a stake in what's happening and can do their bit of that building that thing up, that creative activity or whatever like the offline activity is. I think that's how you can maintain interest. You've still got to do a little bit of what you're doing and what you're doing, but then you do that in a fight when everybody has the turn of initiative and goes to their own thing. So it's just making sure that no one player goes off or off and now doing their own thing. That's where it's you know gone daft. Um, so as long as you time box it correctly and get everybody interested in the same downtime activity, that's good. Where it fractures is when everybody's got a different downtime activity and wants to spend a lot of time on it. And, yeah. and then you just get a disparate game, don't you? Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, and, and I do see that even in Blades in the Dark, which I think is the best use of downtime I've ever seen mechanically. Um, and I think it fits into the story really well, as we said. But there's there's definitely a feeling there that your, your GM can go, okay, what do you want to do over the next week as your project? And you feel like you are being asked to invent your own downtime and become the GM, which is true of a lot of modern games these days. In your more trad games, the reason you wouldn't get I don't think groups of PCs deciding to improve the town is because they kind of show up and expect the GM to present them with adventure. So yeah. sitting down with your GM and your GM goes, well, I don't know, you've got all this gold, you're in the town, I don't have anything, nothing's going to come knocking on your door, what are you going to do today? After a couple of sessions of that, you think this, this d and campaign's rubbish. Now, some people will no doubt just leap at the opportunity of going, well, we can do anything we want, cool, right, this is what I'm going to do. But you need everybody to do that, don't you? Because... Mm. I think very often in some trap games you you do wait for the plot to be kind of you wait for the hooks and then you jump yeah. on one or more than one but you know and I and I've GM plenty of games where I thought oh come on guys please take one of these hooks please take one of the adventures I've got more than one but please <laughs> take an adventure and people don't want to do it and they and instead they want to count their arrows and sharpen their swords, which is not much fun for the GM either it's got to be fun for the GM too and I think with with too many projects or too much downtime, not only have you got lonely fun, but the poor old GM who's probably organised the housing, the drinks, and the beverages and the social diary and everything else like they always end up doing, is the one who's sitting there being the spectator.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: I think it. I think it's a little bit fraught unless everybody buys into it and in Blaze in the dark when the GM says, "What project are you doing?" Everybody does still feel like they're playing the same game because they've been asked a direct question in the same way as they would do as if you know. Um, you know, the brigand jumps through the door with his blade flashing, what do you do? That seems like yeah. a reasonable request. So when they say, what's your project? That seems like a reasonable request, given the context. So, mm. you know, I, I feel like I'd love to be one of those D&D players who's got 10,000 gold and the world is their oyster. What should we do, lads? But I kind of can't see it happening because I still kind of expect a lizard man to leap out of something and try and skin me alive.
1: <laughs> and I'd be disappointed <laughs> if it didn't happen. <laughs> well that's we've had to have you the conversation in front about what the game is going to be about isn't it really yeah uh, and, and in our current game uh that we're playing online we've kind of fallen into that trap a bit because the the new GM just wanted to to leap straight in so we perhaps need to have a pause at some point and say what what are we trying to mm-hmm. achieve or what's the what do you expect us to do and should we be coming up with more adventure or should we be following your leads or something like that perhaps but i think it's as we keep discussing, the answer is often just to have a conversation with the other people around the table. Sometimes, I was just going to say, from the like in inverted commas downtime, we we've sort of, we defined it quite narrowly at first, but it could be stuff like if you take your inspiration from uh, the Hobbit, where the dwarves have gone and got rid of the dragon and got a big pile of treasure, and then you know the the guys from Lake Town are turning up wanting a bit. That could easily be a D and D adventure, which isn't uh going to dungeons and killing things or exploring. Sure. You could easily have a D adventure where you've you have killed a dragon, it was sat on a mountain of treasure. Now what are you doing? There's mm-hmm. five of you. Like you're not you're not carting it all out for starters. You didn't bring a cart. So now what do you do? And like who who guards it and who goes or what do you do is you take a portion of it. What well, when word gets out that actually the evil lich or whatever that was running the dungeons dead or the, the undead aren't roaming the night anymore and everybody else starts exploring and some other people might find your treasure, or other wandering monsters come to take residence. <laughs> I think that's probably that's probably an inverted commas down, a downtime thing you could do with a bunch of treasure. Yeah. That's a little bit different than your standard going off and finding adventure. Like the adventure sort of comes to you with what do you do with all this? With the, you know an inconceivable amount of money to carry around, or you know there's no banks necessarily. You can't just like deposit it and then use your credit card you've got to physically carry this cash or hire people to guide it and hope they don't nick Mm. it themselves or like, what what do you do around that? So I think that I think it's probably more where I'd be from coming from in terms of downtime and inverted commas is thinking of uh, different stuff to do, but within the game world that you're in, but that still makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And me too. And uh,
0: I guess if I were, if I were interested in writing novels and you'll see this, if you read novels based on like um, role playing games is, they don't really dwell too much on the adventuring part that we play out at our tables, because mm. they're in some ways the least interesting bits, which is true. Because from a, from a novel writing perspective, and, and we've said so many times now, you know, role playing games are not novels or comics or films at all, and that's why sometimes you know, like D and D films look terrible because D and D film, if it were just about you know a group of people taking one step at a time gingerly through a very, very dark set of chambers. It wouldn't be that interesting. So you've got, you've got to go with the stuff that suits the medium. And I think, um, let's think of a different example. Let's think of like Pirates of the Caribbean. So that, that's about as RPG as it gets, you would imagine. But if you really look at those films, I mean, really look at those films, they're not actually set up in the way that RPGs are. There's a vast amount of downtime in them. And some of the best scenes are the sort of things that would either get glossed over completely... Or or played with a single roll of the dice and everyone would move on. Like stuff like you know you've got a press ganged bunch of pirates and you've got that lineup that's got Kira Knightley at the end of it and one of them's got like (laughs) only one leg and one of them's drunk and one of them's falling over and it's got a wooden eye and the rest of it. Just that lineup. Like, can you imagine making a D and D game out of interviewing for shield bearers? So having having the party sitting behind a trestle table in a pub, they've had to rent the back room. (laughs) And there's a big line of absolute no-hopers, and, you, and the GM plays like 40 candidates over the course of the evening, and you have to interview them. See, that's, that's what would happen oh, in Pirates or a and d game, but I don't know. Would anyone be interested in playing that? I think I, I am. I <laughs> Yes, that was great. <laughs> what do I sign? So, Bo- Borchar, what do you think? And he's you've got the, 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 the warrior just sitting there grumbling like sharpening his sword, going, oh, Goodness, I'm not getting any experience points for this. You know. <laughs> and the paladin wants to know if they've got any like skeletons in the closet and if they've ever done anything wrong in the past and, and can back it up with magical prayer. And and the thief just wants to see if like uh you know if he can do any card tricks with them. So I think that'd be kinda of cool. But that's the sort of thing that gets a single dice roll usually. And um, mm. but but you know stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean makes a funny scene out of it, and novels might make a funny couple of pages out of it. But I think in role playing games, we're just generally speaking, I speak for myself, we're not great at dwelling on those really cool little moments and fleshing them out. Because do you know what? People don't do banter very well. Not really. They like being asked questions, and and coming up with some solutions to it. They don't really like just. Pulp Fiction style dialogue of two people sitting in a car talking about a cheeseburger for 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. It does come down to who you've got on the table I guess. I, I think it's um, the thing is it's a matter of not pushing it, isn't it? I keep seeing on Twitter and other places all these uh, memes about uh, this is my carefully crafted adventures uh, NPCs and stuff like that I had ready and this other picture is the what my players do to it, which is wandering off and speaking to someone else, kind of thing, is you know, it's, it's an ongoing joke. But there are different types of groups out there. I don't think all players are just interested in completely ignoring the real NPCs and talking to the barman. Although I've definitely seen that happen, and it, doesn't mm. happen. Yeah, it does
0: happen.
1: Uh, you've got to be flexible as a, a GM and have ideas about conversations you might have. I think, mm-hmm. and then who it is that delivers that message or has the idea or has an a, a idea for a quest or whatever it might be. Can be any one of the many faces that you will portray throughout your game, yeah. but um, as you've discussed yourselves, sometimes players want to like talk to the weaponsmith, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes it's the same player just on a different night, and, and you mm-hmm. know we're all human. Sometimes you just want to turn up and kill orcs, and other times you want to have a bit of bounce with people in the tavern or whatever it might be. So uh, a key to downtime in another way, I guess, is that it might just be played it by ear. Uh, and sometimes people will be up for it, and sometimes they won't, and that be you know that includes the gym as well. They might not be really interested in role playing the potion seller for the fiftieth time, yeah, but you know sometimes you'll get it sometimes you don't, and don't worry about it too much, I guess
0: yeah cool well, that that seems like a good way to bring proceedings to a close, so that you know sometimes it's a big deal, sometimes it's not I think downtime is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it mm, so sure. you can you can get an entire scenario out of what you previously saw as downtime. Um, and then, because you've done that, it ain't downtime anymore. It's, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. game time.
1: <laughs> I think yeah. the, the one example I've got that I think sort of fits with some of that is um, Hulk movie play with uh, Lawrence Whitaker Oh yeah, continuum. Yeah. A very Guinness fueled session, but we spent the first half of the session making this um, palace impenetrable so the baddies couldn't come in and get the princess uh, who was due to be married and then realising halfway through that actually we needed to get her out, and then spending the other half of the session trying to defeat her own carefully laid plans for securing the place. Mm-hmm. So half of the session didn't involve any dice rolls, but was great because we're having fun time writing guard rotters and hiring uh, wolves or guard dogs or whatever it was and various other things. And the other half was defeating the challenge we created for ourselves. But that, that arguably half of that session was downtime, but it all turned out mm. to be really good in the end. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, a convention classic, and I think sometimes they are. They're they're really good one-shots. So I think I think what I'm taking from this is that campaign play is my favourite sort of play. It's not the sort of thing you get that often, unfortunately, these days, what with real life, but it's my favourite sort of play. But I wouldn't want to play the same kind of session every single week, week in, week out. And I think every now yeah. and again, like with the best TV shows, we just have one of those slightly off pieced episodes where you look at things from a different angle, or it might be like you're Breaking Bad um, episodes where things happen from the viewpoint of other characters, Sopranos, any of those kind of things do that sort of thing really, really well. Um, hmm. And maybe then just, you know, sometimes just zooming in on something utterly mundane, like, you know, all the characters stop for a, a long rest and they camp out in the night and you set watches, but role-play through those and see if anything comes of it. And sometimes it might, and it might be four hours later, and uh, and everybody's like you know telling campfire stories and you know uh, some people are rolling over and going to sleep and some people are talking about old adventures they went on and suddenly there's some dialogue happening that nobody prepped for and and all of a sudden you're almost larping it and that would be a really really cool session not every week but yeah. I could really 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 enjoy that I think that would be super cool just every now and again
1: I think you could you could let the groundwork for some of that couldn't you well I'd love to have um a nighttime session where there's going to be encounters but none of them are hostile When you yeah. say before about being nice to people it's just the guy that comes staggering in through the dark isn't trying to get he's a stabbed caravan guard that suddenly found some help yeah. and he's got a story to tell and you know uh there could be you know a, a variety of other things that occur or happen or you you happen to dig up the remains of the previous guys who were camped here and it's a bit of a ghost story or something around what happened to them and Mm-hmm. You could have a, a bunch of little stuff all around one little camp one night, which would make a great horror movie or a whatever some of kind of movie like that, perhaps, and a great adventure session, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then you know the next session you can go back to smashing Hobgoblins about. That's fine. Yeah. that's what you signed up for in the first place. But you <laughs> know, it, but it would throw those games into a bit more relief, wouldn't it? To it just would. sort of like, yeah, speed up, slow down. And I think yeah. So message from tonight is that, that downtime is is possibly a bit of a. A scene uh, that you could mine for for really cool for cool stories, cool cool games, and cool interactions if everybody's up for it, and if only one of you is up for it, well, maybe do
1: that in email with the player concerned' <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite just right. play their game. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be in Shadowrun, do we, where there's one guy hacking for five hours and everybody else is sat around the van and waiting for him to get in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, the worst definition of downtime.
0: Just like <laughs> one person is actually playing the game and everyone else is waiting. Oh, dear. Kill right. Stuff. So, speaking of emailing between sessions, uh, as usual, we love to hear your emails. So, you know, drop us lines through the various electronic media or send us a letter with a stamp on it if you like. Smart Party Towers, the postman knows where we are. Uh, but you'll find us on various forums. So we've got like a, the new UK Role Players Forum where we hang out, there we've got a Google Plus community, and we've got our email address which is thesmartparty at hotmail dot com,
1: I believe. Yep, and there's Facebook Facebook page and the underscore smart underscore party on Twitter as well. So a veritable banquet of uh, ways of communicating with us. Yeah,
0: so do it about any subject you like. But like currently, loving seeing some of the chatter that's going on about other ways to play games and sort of like the little shadowy areas of the games that sometimes people call downtime and could be called good times. Well, we'll see. (laughs) Let us know how your games go. We'll see you next time at the Smart Party. Cheers, everyone.
1: Bye for now.